good morning, beloved church. My name is Camille Maddock. I'm the associate pastor here at the church, and what a joy it is to be with you worshiping this morning. You know, we are almost done with our beautiful day in the neighborhood series, and what a wonderful experience it has been to look at the life of faith and discipleship through the lens of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. We have covered so much in the last few weeks, from embracing our sacred worth and learning to approach God with honesty and authenticity, to finding space for creativity and wonder and the power of routines and rituals. And last week, we went forth sharing God's love in our neighborhood and beyond. This week, we're going to look at how Mr. Rogers teaches the importance of silence and centering, of slowing down and finding a pace in life that allows us to be replenished and renewed. So before we begin, I want to invite you to join me in taking a deep, centering breath as I begin with prayer. Gracious and ever-present God, we know you are with us now and in this moment. As your Spirit moves among us, may our hearts be opened to hear your message for us this morning. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. You know, one of the first things you notice about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is how wonderfully, how reassuringly, how amazingly, perhaps even how shockingly slow it was. One of my favorite regular moments in the show was when Mr. McFeely, the postman, would visit. Mr. Rogers' gentle and quiet persona was sharply contrasted by Mr. McFeely, who was always talking fast. He was always in a rush. He was always worried about being late and having a speedy delivery. Yet whenever Mr. McFeely stopped by Mr. Rogers' house, his encounter with Mr. Rogers slowed him down. Now, Mr. Rogers had that same effect on me when I was a child. As a child, I was diagnosed with what back then we called just ADD, attention deficit disorder. I had a hard time sitting still and being focused. And yet as a kid, I loved watching Mr. Rogers. I would gravitate towards his peace and his calm and his quietness because it often helped me to slow down, to silence the noise that was around me. And when I look back, it's outrageous to think about what Mr. Rogers did, how he established his show on his calm and slow, his methodical, his pointed talking. His slow show was so different from the other shows at the time. It moved at such a slow pace. His neighborhood was calm and a thoughtful world that embraced quiet inactivity loved empty space. These qualities were completely unexpected in television, and yet they were qualities that captivated the audience regardless of age. You know, Mr. Rogers was fond of saying that silence is a gift, and he fought for that gift to be present everywhere. His TV program was filled with silence. He didn't feel the need to constantly fill the airtime with commentary. When he fed his fish, he would announce his actions, but then we would silently watch as the flakes floated around in the tank. 
When musicians like Yo-Yo Ma visited, there wasn't commentary, it was just listening to them perform. Mr. Rogers would often invite his neighbors to take quiet time to remember, to sit, to think about the music they had just heard. Anytime that he asked a question, he stopped. He listened for a moment to give those watching the opportunity to ponder, to respond, even though he couldn't hear them. It wasn't dead air to him. It was a chance to gracefully receive a message that was coming. This slow pace, this silence for Mr. Rogers was strategic. It's no accident that every episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood opens with a shot of the traffic light flashing yellow in the caution mode. It's a visible reminder for us to take our time. Mr. Rogers knew that slowing down was vital to a child's emotional development, to a child's soul. He believed that a life of busyness and chaos and overwhelming noise would cause our souls and our hearts to become hard and stagnant. But that taking time, slowing down would help to nourish our souls, to help to draw us into living with a vibrant and a dynamic experience of God. And this is more than just a theological or philosophical idea. This is scientific. You see, Yale psychologists compared Mr. Rogers' neighborhood to Sesame Street. And one of the things they discovered, that children were better able to follow the stories on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood than in the faster-paced world of Sesame Street. There was even another study that concluded that Mr. Rogers' neighborhood led to an increase in tolerance of delay, meaning that children in the study who watched Mr. Rogers were more likely to be patient when they had to wait. Mr. Rogers believed that silence is so powerful, it's so important, there is so much to be learned from it. He knew that taking one's time, especially in relationships, would allow the other person to know that he or she was worth that time. He knew that silence could lead to reflection, that reflection could lead to appreciation. He knew that for children to discover their uniqueness, they needed silence, time, and space. Silence so that they could hear themselves think. Time to consider those thoughts and space to work them out, to fail, to struggle with them, and to try again. Silence was such a vital part of his life that he developed a ritual that he used in every meeting, in every commencement speech, in every interview across the decades. He would invite anyone he was with, individuals, small groups, an audience of thousands, to stop, to take one minute to think about a person who had a positive impact on their life. And he'd watch the time, and he'd tell them when the minute was up, Something new I learned when I prepared for this sermon was that he did this ritual at the White House. He had been invited to a conference on children's education and television, and before the meeting started, he sat at a table within President Clinton with various members of the cabinet, with the highest level executives at PBS, and he asked these powerful individuals to take 60 seconds of silence during which he told them to think about someone who had an impact on them. And they did. 
My favorite moment of this ritual is actually one that you can watch on YouTube. It's when he accepted his Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1997. In the middle of his acceptance speech, he told the audience he wanted them to be silenced, this time just for 10 seconds, and to think about the people who loved them into being. And then he took off his watch, and he said he would keep the time. Now, this was a national broadcast moment. There were almost 19 million people watching, so even just a second of silence could easily lose millions of viewers. But as the seconds passed and the silence took over, the camera began to show the faces in the crowd, some of them with tears, some of them with sweet smiles, but all of them remembering and giving thanks. It was only 10 seconds of silence, but you could see that it was a powerful and transformative experience. Allowing that sacred space for silence, for slowing down, for rest is a vital part of our lives as disciples, and it was a vital part of who Jesus was to hear this story from our Bible passage this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Then he, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now this is likely a story that you are familiar with. We often focus on the storm or the disciples' panic or Jesus' ability to calm that storm. But there's another aspect of this story that's important. You see, in the chapters that proceed, we realize that all day long, Jesus has been teaching and healing and calling folks to follow him. He has had a very long day of ministry. The story in the Gospel of Mark, the calming of the storm occurs because Jesus actually asks to go out on a boat to get away from the crowds that are following him. And after Jesus gets on the boat, Jesus take, takes leave of his disciples. He goes to the back of the boat alone, where it's quiet, probably even silent, where he can find rest and solitude. In fact, in all three versions of this story in the Gospels, it makes clear that when Jesus goes to the back of the boat, he falls asleep. You see, even Jesus knew the power and the restoration that can come with a good nap. And if Jesus needed time in the back of the boat, then so do we. The back of the boat is a metaphor. It's a symbol of the necessary break from the busyness and the productivity of life. The back of the boat is not a luxury. Time spent in the back of the boat is not optional if our intention is to lead a healthy, balanced, and productive life. In fact, Jesus was always taking time away to find a place of silence, 
to find a moment of stillness, to seek space that he needed to be replenished. And if anyone had a reason to not do that, to get as much done as fast as possible, it was Jesus. But Jesus still took time away. He regularly sought time for sacred silence, to rest, to pray, to ponder, to listen, to replenish himself. So often we get caught up in the idea that a life of discipleship means that we have to be constantly doing in the name of God. We treat life of faith like Mr. McFeely did his deliveries. We get into these harried and these frantic moments of living a life of faith where we are so focused on doing the work of discipleship that we forget to be disciples. And Jesus' time in the back of the boat is a lesson that we need to hear because God does not need your exhaustion. Let me say this again, because if you take anything home from this sermon, I want it to be this. God does not need your exhaustion. There is nothing holy about running ourselves into the ground. There is nothing spiritual about being all the things to all the people as much as possible. We need to slow down occasionally. Just like the kids watching Mr. Rogers, we need silence and time and space. Resting in the back of the boat restores us and balances us. It gives us what we need to handle the storms that come our way. The back of the boat brings us to the center. It helps us refocus on what's most important. Our faith in God, caring for our families, fostering relationships with God, those that God has entrusted to us. And that's why silence is so important. Silence is a way of slowing and stopping ourselves and our thoughts. Silence creates space to experience God in new and liberating ways. Silence and stillness are vital parts of our faith practice. Without silence, we struggle to know ourselves and who God has created us to be. When our minds are constantly filled with outside stimuli, it becomes impossible to make space for the lessons that silence can teach us about God, about ourselves, about God's work in the world. And silence has so much to teach us. One of the things that silence does is silence reveals Silence helps us to be aware of the world around us and within us. So often we use noise to avoid the thoughts and the internal dialogue that are swirling within us. We use noise to distract us from what we think is a storm gathering inside. Many of us dislike silence because we aren't really at peace with certain aspects of ourselves, but silence can help us recognize and reckon with what is disturbing our peace. It gives us time and space to form beautiful questions and to listen to God's answers. Silence allows God to come inside and to still the storms. Silence roots. Our world is busy and there is so much that can distract us, but silence grounds us in our current reality and makes the noise matter less. It allows us to listen for God amongst the chaos. Silence helps us to let goes, go of worries about the future or of the past, to just sit with God in the moment. Silence roots us in the presence of a God who created us 
and wants so very much to be with us. Silence also reminds us. It allows God to remind us that we don't need to do anything to impress, that we don't have to do anything to be worthy of God's love. Silence is a gift because we can just sit in silence. We can just sit and rest and let God love us. And silence restores Silence allows rest for our bodies and minds and spirits. It provides an opportunity for God to refresh our souls. Time away from the distractions of the world and other responsibilities creates space for the renewal of our spirit. And any time we spend in God's presence, even in silence, is never wasted. You know, silence is part of the practice of keeping Sabbath. It's an important part of what God asks us to do. In fact, just this last week, a few days ago, the United Methodist News Service published an article about Sabbath. It focuses on a documentary about this ancient practice of keeping one day a week as a Sabbath. The director of the documentary, Martin Dobelmeyer, describes Sabbath as the one day a week you say, I've done enough and I am enough, and I have enough for that one day. You see, Sabbath is a vital part of our faith lives. Like silence, Sabbath gives us space to listen and to be with God. And so as I come to a close this morning, I want to offer just a few different ways of thinking about and practicing Sabbath. One way of thinking about Sabbath is to practice margin. It's a term that comes from physician Richard Swenson, who defines margin as the space that once existed between our load and our limit. Margin is the space between vitality and exhaustion. It's our breathing room, our reserves, our leeway. It's the opposite of overload. It's something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situation. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion the space between breathing freely and suffocating. You know, margins, those are those empty spaces that surround the text in a document. They often allow space for pause and reflection and help give definition and clarity to the words and the sentences on the page. Once during an interview about a book he wrote, Mr. Rogers said this, the white spaces between words are more important than the text because they give you time to think about what you've read. That's what it means to practice margin as Sabbath. When we erase that space entirely, we live with zero space between our vitality and our exhaustion. We quickly reach our breaking point. We have nothing left to give. We become depleted. Sabbath gives us space and silence to replenish ourselves. Sabbath helps to build our margins. And then there's minister and theologian and biblical scholar Eugene Peterson. He shares another way to understand Sabbath as if it was more than just a day off. Sabbath is an opportunity for prayer and for playing. Many times our day off are filled with all the tasks and the chores that we did not have time to do during our work week, which means that we're often exhausted at the end of our day off instead of replenished. 
Sabbath, he says, should be an uncluttered time, a space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing in us and around us. It's an opportunity to embrace silence, to allow ourselves to enjoy rest, to practice delight, to contemplate God, to pray, and to play. Now, a quick aside here. There is an opportunity for the women of our church and our community to practice Sabbath by coming to the women's retreat next month. It is October 13th through the 14th, and it is absolutely a time of praying and playing. It's a time for leaving behind the to-do list, for being with God, for being in fellowship with other women. In fact, our theme is replenish, because we want you to rest. We want you to find space, time to go to the back of the boat, to practice margin, to experience Sabbath. And there are lots of opportunities. If you can't make it up for the whole week, you can come up for just part of the time. If you feel like it's too far to drive, we have folks who are carpooling. We have scholarships to offer as well. If you want to talk about retreat, there will be folks, women on the patio sitting at the table. You can come and talk to me down front after worship. I want to invite you to join us on this retreat to experience Sabbath as a time of playing and praying couple more thoughts on Sabbath. Sabbath is important because God practiced Sabbath. Humans were created on the sixth day, and their first full day of life was on the Sabbath, which means that we were created with Sabbath as our baseline. You see, God's perspective was to work and then rest. But humanity's perspective was to know rest and then work. When God made Adam and Eve, their first experience was of rest, of celebration. Sabbath is a day of delight. It always has been from the very first moment. And one final practice. A small daily practice of claiming Sabbath, of centering in silence that comes from the Reverend Dr. Kirk Byron Jones. This is the gentleman who spoke at the clergy convocation that Andy and I attended last month. Much like Mr. Rogers, Reverend Dr. Jones has a ritual that he begins his day with, one that is steeped in silence that gives the space and the time to prepare for the coming day. He gives this ritual the acronym BREW. Begins by taking time to be still. Give yourself silence time and space, silence so that you can think, time to consider those thoughts and the space to work through them, sitting in silence, allowing God's message to break through the chaos and the noise that surrounds. And the next comes receiving God's love. It's about opening yourself to receiving the grace and the forgiveness, the celebration of a God who loved you, who knows you, and who created you. It's followed by embracing your sacredness. Mr. Rogers taught us that we are the beloved of God, that we don't have to earn God's love, that we don't have to do anything special. God loves us just as we are, and so we need to take time to remember and to embrace our sacredness. And then finally, the last one is to welcome the day. This is an opportunity when we have finished, we have stilled our minds and our bodies, we have acknowledged God's love for us, we have remembered our sacred worth, it is then and only then that we can go out into the world and embrace what lies ahead.
brew. It's a small daily practice of the Sabbath. Now, beloved church, we've been talking about how silence and centering is such a vital part of who we are and how we connect to God and a God who loves us. And so it feels appropriate, perhaps even necessary, that after speaking about Mr. Rogers and his ritual of 60 seconds of silence, to end this time by participating in that ritual ourselves. So I want to invite you to be silent for just one minute. We won't have any music playing. I want to invite those of you that are watching at home to do your best to quiet the ambient noise around you. I want to invite you to take just 60 seconds to think about those people in your life who have loved you into being, who have been a source of the light and the love of God to you, who have helped you to shine your light. Now, at the conclusion of our silent minute, I will offer a prayer to bring us back together. And like Mr. Rogers, I will keep the time. Will you join me in a minute of silence? 